Are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? I have. And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 331, a.k.a. Year 7, Week 29, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC. And find us on Clubhouse. We've got our own club now, uh, the Anarchist Experience there, or at me, at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. Connect with me, and then you'll get, I'll be able to hit your name. When we do, when we start the live show, I just go boop, and it goes like, "Hey, he's doing something," and then you, then you can jump in the, the club with us. Um, but yeah, that's what's going on. Uh, what's going on with you this week, MC? Um, not much. I'm uh, happy to see crypto is on the rise again. Yay! Back to bull market. Okay, is it? How do? Is that? Is explain this to me because it seems like people misuse terms. And maybe I misunderstand terms, right? Like every time I hear bull market, all that means to people is that the price is going up and yeah, bear market, the price is going down. And I, I, I want to say that seems like an oversimplification because it's, it's more complicated than just which direction the price is going. Yeah, it's more a perception type of thing. Um, so technically, we weren't in a bear market because uh, the price is still very high. Uh, but it was going at, down. It went down. Know, even even at bears Bitcoin came 30, out. The price went down. Bears came out, but it wasn't a bear market. It's just uh, just it was just the price going down. But anyway, thirty thousand for Bitcoin is still high compared to you know where it started at the beginning of the year. So um, yeah, we're not in a bear market. Um, <clears throat> has you know the price has to stay very high for a long time uh to where if it comes down then then that it even matters so anyway technically we're in a bull market from the beginning of the year yeah but now the price is going up in this bull market Mm -hmm. and people are going like bulls are out yay we're we're doing stuff so i would say you know like perception wise it's basically just a slump not not a bear market that we, we had um but that's understandable given how fast it went up. So, yeah, we're still in a bull market. Um, I think the you know Bitcoin price is probably going to end up over a hundred thousand this year. Um, but we'll see. That's that my prediction. Nice. People, yeah. people that make predictions are usually wrong. <laughs> you know, I've got mine. As long as if you act on your predictions, though, at least you're at least you know putting where your your money where your mouth is and and betting on you know your beliefs. I guess sure. So we'll we'll. We'll continue to monitor it and see it rise and fall. Um, and rise and fall, rise and fall. Rise and fall, rise and fall. Die and re- be resurrected again. Um, I was talking to you a little bit pre-show. I, w- I, I was uh, reached out to by an old co-worker from Hawaii um, simply because, you know, when, when Bitcoin hits the news, right, I'm the person she thinks about because somewhere in the 2016, 2017 year, like that range, I think it was, um, I was I was more I was more forward looking to Bitcoin and getting people involved, right? I was like, you guys probably should think about getting into this like ASAP, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need uh, maybe evangelize is the word I'm looking for, but I don't really need to do that here in New Hampshire, um, mostly because everyone that I hang out with now anyway is already aware of it and or more involved in it than I am, and so it's you know. It's, it's the choir. Like I'm part of the choir now, you know, not, not preaching to the, the congregation as it were. But she reached out to me again. She's like, oh, look at it. Every time I see Bitcoin in the news, I think of you. So we caught up a little bit and that was kind of fun. Uh, but would have been smart, you know, to have, to have taken that advice then, right? And I, you know, I told her the same thing I said then. Like I, you know, I'm no longer in like, you know, the prediction market. Um, but I'd still say, if you have disposable income, you should probably move some of that into Bitcoin. And, and then she goes like, well, what about these other cryptos? And I go, see, 
you can you can do whatever you want there, <laughs> right? Now you have fun. Don't put all your money there. But you know, if if you want that overnight riches, you're probably going to have to put you know something into one of those altcoins, shit coins, and pay attention to the pump and dump schemes that they do. Um, it seems you know the 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 even even your you know your prediction of you know uh, of a hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin by the end of the year right, is still only uh, a few hundred percent gain in a year, sure. right? Like it's not, you know, in the early days, it was like, you know, a thousand percent, 10 people were making 10, your, your, you know, return on investments like 10,000%. And I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't know if Bitcoin is capable of that precipitous rise anymore. Like there's money to be made. There's not like, you know, fuck you money to be made. In that way, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna put in a hundred bucks and become a millionaire, um, right? At this point, <clears throat> unless you do it in an alt, an alt still possible somewhere if you guess yeah, right, or or create your own cryptocurrency and pump that up, right? Which which is way too easy um, <laughs> for the for the technically because there's like thousands of altcoins, man. This was yeah, it's it's always going to be a problem. Uh, there's one that I was frustrated with. It's it's a uh, Cardano um, now. They they started off selling tokens as if they were a, a company with a, a billion dollar valuation or even multiple billions of dollars. So they started off like ahead of Monero, which has been around for a long time, um, <clears throat> ahead of Dogecoin, which everybody knows about, um, and ahead of a lot of things that are valuable proje- projects. But Cardano doesn't even have a working uh, smart contract platform such as Ethereum has, um, <clears throat> and they're and they're you know, their price is really getting up there. I mean, it's, it's, it's so crazy. You know, people are buying this thing and it hasn't been proven to work. It doesn't even have a product yet, you know, and all it is is just a token that doesn't do anything. Um, but it's worth billions of dollars. So, yeah, I think people are insane. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, what can you do? Well, like I said, the, the tokens are the easy part. You know, we've got um, local smart people here and... Um, one of them, you know, in order to in order to fundraise for a local building for, you know, um, local community members here, like, oh yeah, we're just going to start this new token, and you you know, thousand dollars per token, and if you buy five tokens, you get like a lifetime membership to the club. I go, <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> well, I mean, but it's again, it's a fundraiser because we're you know, no, I know. <laughs> to be fair, I don't want to get too much into this, but we're the local community is potentially losing the local clubhouse right? because the landlords are selling it. And so the, the goal was to fundraise so that, you know, the community members could own the club and therefore it wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, again, not to, not to disparage them too much, but where they lost me in the fundraising process was they were collecting the funds, issuing the tokens, but it was a donation. Like there was, there was no like investment opportunity. Like you give them the money and then they own the club, right? You know? Okay. But you get the tokens, right? But you get, you get the tokens, which is, you know, good for a lifetime membership. And again, I don't want to get too much into it because they, they, they botched the presentation in my opinion and I don't want to disparage them, but it basically said like, well, you get the tokens. And if you, if you want to buy, if you want to sell the tokens, we will buy them back in a reversed auction format. Mm Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't get any, you wouldn't get your money back that you've donated to them, right? You mm-hmm. would potentially lose money on the reverse auction format because, you know, whatever. And then hopefully, you know, as the project starts to make money, you know, however many years down the line, then they'd buy it back at a maximum 10% over what you bought it for. Mm-hmm. So it was a maximum 10% return on investment um, over uh, an infinite amount of years that it would take them to get to that point. So it wasn't yeah. being it wasn't being pitched as an investment opportunity, it was being pitched as a, a donation opportunity to save the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And the again, the problem with that is like it was supposed to be like, well, now the members own the clubhouse, but you don't. You've already you've donated money to a to to a nonprofit that now is your new landlord, kind of a thing. Right. So, but it, it's working out apparently. They've you know raised a few hundred thousands of dollars at this point. Um, but issued their own tokens, right? Like how easy is it to create a token? Boom. 
they issued, they created it, set the price, and sold a handful of them to, I want to say dupes, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Passionate community pe- members. Pe- people with money to lose and that are easily um, confused. Yeah. Apparently, well, he's, he's kind of like, you know, a, a name on Twitter and apparently convinced Gary Vaynerchuk to buy a couple of tokens. So, so Gary V has donated to this fund. (laughs) We got a celebrity on board guys. Gary Vaynerchuk is contributing to the fund. Right. Yeah. But again, just, just highlights, you know, how, how easy it is to start your own crypto and then how much, how much money can you make off of it? Turn into a couple hundred thousands, but you know, however many ways you want, whatever, not my thing. And and if you do it right, a couple billion. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. If you, number one, if you do it right, and with no product and no real long-term sustainability, like no longevity to this new coin, uh, it, it's always going to seem like a scam to me. Like, mm-hmm. did you read the white paper on that new coin? No, because I don't. Like, what? Yeah. What could? What could it possibly offer that isn't already being offered or cannot already be implemented by one of the larger coins or tokens out there? Yeah, my my favorite. Uh thing to look at as far as uh, warnings to people is uh, a crypto token called Paycoin. When Paycoin came out, it, they had a lot of advertising. They said, we're going to be the, you know, the first integrated credit card uh, deposit uh, structure, uh, cryptocurrency that, <clears throat> that you can, you know, spend your crypto with your, your Paycoin card and you can buy the tokens and, and hold on to them. Everybody's going to be rich, right? So, yep. Um, anyway, they started off at, at billions and billions of dollars. Um, they, they started off higher than I think Ethereum at the time, and and <clears throat> I don't know how many people invested in them, but the price has been going down ever since. So sounds anyway, about right. They they made their billions and uh, continued to dump, and it's been dumping the the whole time. So. <laughs> I don't know if you could actually get a credit card with them at the moment or not, but I don't really care. Um, they, they took everybody's money and there's you know nothing you can do about it. I've seen other strategies where like the new, the new token is issued and then the goal is like accumulate as much of that as possible and then wait for someone to fork it and then do better with it. And then your, your forked tokens, like, you know, the, the airdrops or whatever, carry on with the second with you know with with both chains of the fork and then you make more of that one go, eh, whatever yeah so be careful keep an eye on it yep just like any other investment don't risk what you can't afford to lose in some form or fashion don't buy tigers cats that's oh cats oh, okay whatever um, um the, the cats that look like tigers anyway okay oh i um, just saw a picture of that maybe we're, are we maybe we're talking about like it's called like a toyger <laughs> Toyger. It's like a little cat with, with tiger stripes on it. There's a picture of it as I was doing my show prep earlier. Toygers. Like T O Y G E R. Like a toy tiger. Toygers. Hmm. Google it. It's a thing. Shall we do headlines? Sure. All right. Um, I've got, I'll, I'll run through the headlines. Um, usually I would throw it over to you to see where you want to go, but there's a handful in the, in the beginning here that is local to me and or local to you. So I want to hit those first. Uh, starting with this one, innocent man, headline, innocent man locked in mental facility, forcibly drugged for years because no one cared to ID him. A headline, Maui residents rail against spike in tourism during water shortage. Stop coming to Hawaii. A headline, police department shamelessly lists qualified immunity as a, quote, unique benefit in job posting. A headline, defining liberty. Headline, the loss of the libertarian brand. Headline, the war on freedom, how tyranny overran the United States. Headline, cities that reduced arrests for victimless crimes saw fewer police shootings and no spike in crime. Uh, Headline, how not to argue against the existence of monopolies. Headline, that weird California computer ban isn't what it appears to be. It's dumber. Uh, And a real quick sidebar on that one. California is banning um, like high-end performance computers, sort of maybe, um, and there's also some ban in California that's going to affect like bacon sales, right? Like you know you, you can't get a you can't get a gaming PC or bacon 
in California coming soon. Uh, headline, the government says these Missouri men are innocent, but it won't release them from prison. And finally, headline, the refusal to acknowledge trade-offs. Uh, and this one specifically is a COVID story, so we'll put that one at the end. All right, that's what I got. So let's jump back into this innocent man locked in a mental facility, forcibly drugged for years because no one cared to ID him. Uh, out of Hawaii. Every time, <laughs> that's why, it's local to you. Every time <laughs> oh, Joshua... Geez. Spreesterbach tried telling doctors, nurses, and staff at a state hospital in Hawaii that they had the wrong man. No one listened, and his protests were answered with drugs. After nearly three years, the blithering idiots running the hospital finally figured out their blunder, and instead of fixing their mistake, they covered it up by quietly kicking Spreesterbach out on the streets with only 50 cents to his name. The Hawaii Innocence wow. Project is now representing Spreesterbach, and this week they asked the court to correct this innocent man's life. The filing by the Innocence Project explains how the state was looking for a man named Thomas Castleberry and then grabbed the first person they saw instead, happened to be Spreesterbach. According to the report at the time, Spreesterbach was homeless and hungry and was waiting in a food line in 2017 outside of a Honolulu shelter. The line was long, and he fell asleep only to be roused awake by a cop who was arresting him. Spreesterbach thought he was being arrested for breaking the city's ordinance of laying down on the sidewalk, but he was sorely mistaken. The officer falsely claimed that Spreesterbach was Thomas Castleberry, who had a warrant out for his arrest for violating probation in a 2006 drug case. Spreesterbach and Castleberry had never met Yet police and every official involved with Spreesterbach's wrongful kidnapping claimed he was Castleberry. According to the Innocence Project, the incompetence of the police and hospital officials reached utterly criminal levels as all they needed to do to figure out that Spreesterbach was not Castleberry was to compare fingerprints or photographs. And none of that was done. Instead, officials claimed Spreesterbach was insane for telling the state that they had the wrong guy and he was committed to a state mental facility in Hawaii. Yet the more Mr. Spreesterbach vocalized his innocence by asserting that he is not Mr. Castleberry, the more he was declared delusional and psychotic by the uh, HSH staff and doctors and heavily medicated, the petition said. It was understandable that Mr. Spreesterbach was in an agitated state when he was being wrongfully incarcerated for Mr. Castleberry's crimes, and despite his continual denial of being Mr. Castleberry and providing all of his relevant identification and places where he was located during Mr. Castleberry's court appearances, no one would believe him or take any meaningful steps to verify his identity and determine that what Mr. Spreesterbach was telling the truth, he was not Mr. Castleberry. The incompetence along the way was systemic. Even his public defenders chose to ignore him instead of simply running his fingerprints or looking at a photo. Luckily, after spending nearly three years being drugged in a cage, Spreesterbach crossed paths with a, with a competent psychiatrist who finally listened to him. According to the Innocence Project, all it took was a simple Google search to verify Spreesterbach's identity. The, the psychiatrist then called a detective to come to the hospital, and the detective easily verified Spreesterbach's fingerprints and photograph to determine the wrong man had been arrested, and Spreesterbach spent two years and eight months institutionalized, the petition said. Even more insidious is the fact that at the time police arrested Spreesterbach, claiming he was Castleberry, Castleberry was already in jail, and had been there since 2016. Instead of apologizing immensely to the man they had forcibly drugged and caged for nearly three years, officials moved secretly to cover up their incompetence. They held a secret meeting and decided to dump Spreesterbach out on the street with nothing to his name, betting on the fact that no one would believe him. A secret <laughs> meeting was held with all of the parties except Mr. Spreesterbach present. There is no court record of this meeting and no public record of this meeting. No entry or order reflects this miscarriage of justice that occurred 
or a finding that Mr. Spreesterbach is not Thomas Castleberry, the court document said. Police, the state public defender's office, the state attorneys general, and the hospital share in the blame for this gross miscarriage of justice, the petition said. After the hospital dumped him out on the street again, Spreesterbach ends up, ended up in a homeless shelter who contacted his family. Spreesterbach now lives with his sister in Vermont and is extremely shaken. Part of what they used against him was his own argument. I'm not Thomas Castleberry. I didn't commit these crimes. This isn't me. His sister, Vendata Griffith, told the Associated Press, noting that she had spent nearly two decades searching for her brother. So they used that as saying he was delusional as justification for keeping him. And then, when light is shown on it, what do they do? They don't even put it on the record. They don't make it part of the case, Griffith said. And then they don't come to him and say, we are sorry, or how about even, gee, this wasn't you. You were right all along. According to Griffith, Spreesterbach now refuses to leave his sister's 10-acre property. He's so afraid they're going to take him again, she said. This is not some simple mistake. This is gross incompetence of a callous system with everyone along the way refusing to do their taxpayer-funded jobs. Instead of simply running a man's fingerprints or looking in their system for a photo, they chose to lock him away and forcibly drug him for years. This is not some case of a bad apple framing an innocent man. This was the entire system that constantly demands our trust and forces us to obey it who couldn't have cared less about kidnapping, caging, and drugging an innocent human being before discarding him like a piece of garbage. Uh, end of the article. Your thoughts on the entire scenario and, uh, as the article said, the gross incompetence like, along the way. Yeah, well, wow. And that's all, all I got to say about that. I mean, I couldn't add anything more to it. The, you know, the article uh, made clear how disgusting the whole thing was anyway so so i don't know if they could have gotten away with this if this man wasn't homeless to begin with sure right like that's the the lowest of the low as far as you know social hierarchy is concerned typically right homeless guy on the sidewalk nobody cares anyway and so it's easy it's easy to do this um because no one would be looking for him even when they throw him out, right? It's, it's, they throw him out with like 50 cents to his name, but at the same time, you know, that's kind of where he started, right? Like he, it's not like he was in a lap of luxury, um, you know, that's, that's probably the money he had with him in 2017 when he was picked up. So that seems a little hyperbolic. That's the only caveat I'll throw in there. Um, but I, I look at this and then I try to parallel it to similar arguments that I may have made in the past regarding, you know, the, the philosophy of liberty and how things would be done in a libertarian society or a society that has um, restitutive justice instead of, of, you know, uh, compulsory, compulsory imprisonment. Um, because I've always, you know, people go like, well, what happens in this case? And the case is always like, you know, someone kills a homeless guy. You know, who's the victim and who, who does, who does the perpetrator compensate? And I go, like, oh, that's a tough one, right? If, if you kill someone who has like no dependence, you know, no income, no, no way to monetize like their value by either, you know, loved ones or family members or, or employers with whom to compensate, then what do you do with that perpetrator, right? In a, in a world where there's no jails to put them in. Right? Is it just is it an eye for an eye at that point? Well, the only the only thing we can do with you is kill you, um, because there's no one to compensate. And so, I parallel that to here, where yeah, they absolutely thought that they could get away with this because he was homeless. No one, you know, no one was looking for him. It's you know, it's not like he was going to miss a day at work and his employers were going to like call him like, hey, my my employer's missing. Right? No next of kin except for the sister all the way in Vermont you know, who'd been looking for him for 20 years. Um, apparently that's, you know, where, where was he in the meantime, you know, kind of a thing or what, what was she doing to find him in the meantime? Um, and I guess lucky that this happened to him is cause that's the only way they would have been reunited. You know, if he would, if he would have been on the streets in Hawaii, there's still no way that she would have, 
happen to cross him there. Like it's, that's way too much of a chance encounter. Um, but yeah, it, it, it again, just, I don't know. Again, it's a, it's a gross miscarriage of justice. I don't know if a free market libertarian ideal society would do much better in a similar situation as far as meeting out justice for him. Now the victim, does that make sense? Sure. Like if, you know, if that were the case, right, the, the only way to compensate him for this injustice is financially, right? Like here's now some cash so you can get back on your feet. Um, but if he was homeless with no family and they knew that they were going to have to compensate him, right, then it goes like, well, we just kill him. And then because there's no one to compensate, that's that would be like the better option for state agents or gang members or whomever is doing these dastardly things. That's all I got. Yep. Well, it was messed up. <laughs> it, it's completely messed up. Um, and it, but yeah, like I'm, I'm in a, it, it's a, it's, it's a rhetorical question at this point, but what else we know what should have do, been done. What else could be done either going forward or, you know, or for him now, like uh, they're, they're obviously well, going to sue. They're going to get some sort of financial compensation. Oh, and the state <laughs> because, um, yeah, that's that's always sh- should be a solution. Like, uh, whenever the CIA messes up, do they ever end the CIA? You know, it's like no, yeah. If it was a corporation, they would have shut them down for uh, selling a whole bunch of crack to people in L.A. Yep. You know, like, uh, sorry, uh, you're no longer there anymore. You just you just have to shut down and liquidate, and you're gone. And yeah. maybe even put people in prison too. Uh, but no, when it's the government that does it, eh, just sweep it under the rug. Right. So eliminating the state absolutely would have prevented this particular encounter, right? Because it's the state agents that were looking for him for a crime from, you know, 2006, right? Like 11 years ago, you know, some other dude committed a crime and now he's being forcibly drugged, which is, t- you know, terrifying and terrible. Um, but I just... I. Again, I, my my point is that if you even if you eliminate the state, this situation wouldn't have occurred. Um, but I don't. I do think you would still run into issues dealing with the homelessness situation, right? Like I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how uh, to I, fix that. I, well, I don't know how to say that uh, homeless situations and problems would be a whole lot different than they are now. Um, yeah, it's just. <laughs> uh, we don't live in that world, so yeah, um, we don't we don't actually know what would happen. Um, all I can say is I'd rather try uh, with you know having no government and seeing what happens with the homeless situation. Yep. Um, then then do continue doing what we're doing now. So I don't I don't have the story of show prep, but there's a similar you know I, I'm going to say homeless, but it's not really homeless situation here in New Hampshire. Um, there's a dude that has homesteaded some land down by the river and built a cabin and a a few weeks ago was like arrested and evicted from his, you know, cabin on the river that he has squatted on homesteaded, whatever term you want to use for like 20 something years. Like, you know, it's fine. No matter what city you go, you know, this is a a joke. No matter what city you go, there's always like that one guy that people refer to that you just, you have to be a local to know, right? Like in Hawaii, there's, uh, you know, every, everyone knew Mango Man. Makes no difference to you who it was. He was just the homeless dude with, you know, long natty dreads that would wander about the highway. And you see him, you go like, oh, that's Mango Man. This was like, the guy here was like River Dave. Like, oh yeah, River Dave, the dude in the cabin down by the river, just like squatting there. Um, so not s- similar because he's not like, an integrated member of society, but he definitely wasn't homeless. Uh, but the state intervened, right? They arrested him and then tried to walk it back going like, well, we've looked into it and the state doesn't actually own the land. Like he's not squatting on public property. He's not, you know, he's not on public land. Um, the owner of the property is like some dude out in Vermont. And the only reason the dude out in Vermont was even aware that this dude was like squatting on his land for 20 some odd years is because the state got involved and, you know, said that the cabin that he had built was not up to code. 
And so the landlord going like, well, if I'm going to be paying fines for this out of code cabin, well, then you got to get the guy out of here. Um, and so they did, they got him out of there. And then apparently like yesterday or the day before, I don't know the exact time frame of this. Um, he was like, he had a court hearing and mysteriously his cabin burned down that day. <laughs> so, I mean, I will go out on a limb and say, let's stay fucking burned down his house. And I, I, I struggle with that because, you know, it wasn't state property. It wasn't public property. It's private property. And you got defenders going, you know, like adverse possession. They, you know, if no one knew he was there and he squatted for 20 some odd years and that's his. Like, all right. We, you know, that's a whole separate discussion. Uh, but yeah, it just, again, it just goes to show that this type of issue with those members of society, I think will be pervasive even after eliminating the state. Uh, and it's not our job necessarily to come up with solutions for it because we're not, we're not the state. We're not trying to centrally plan Liberty. Uh, however that phrasing goes, but it is someone, someone is going to have to take an interest in this for it to be solved at some point in the future. Moving on. Moving on. All right. Maui, you don't live on Maui, but it's there. It's one of those islands out in the fucking middle of nowhere. Maui residents rail against spike in tourism during a water shortage. Stop coming to Hawaii. So before we get into this article, this is another one of those things where I go like, how? Right? I know the answer. And I still want to ask the question, how are you a tiny little island in the middle of the great big ocean and you're suffering from a water shortage? There's plenty of fucking water. It's all around you. Right? The, the only, the problem is not that there's not enough water. It's about filtering it down and making it drinkable, right? Okay, maybe. Uh, is it not? No, not typically. They get water from rain, so it comes off the mountain, and uh, that's where they get it from. And okay. So if it doesn't rain for a while, they, you could run out. Or if you mismanage it, um, yeah, you can run out. So you, there's no filtration system or boil-off system to turn salt water into fresh water? Not that I'm aware of. That's They don't use desalination in Maui, as far as I know, or Oahu. They don't use it, but that technology is available. Am I- uh, sure, it's more expensive. Okay. That's why they wouldn't do it. Uh, very energy intense to desalinate water. So, yeah, um, it can be done. But, uh, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know what you would have to do to, to make that a reality. It, it's just, it's expensive. Nobody wants to pay a lot for water. Okay. I Again, I, I wouldn't call that a... I, I would still not then call that a shortage then. I would say that you've run the cost-benefit analysis and say it's, it's, it's better to be not have this much water, right? Because you, you can take that seawater and convert it. You can desalinate it and convert it to, you know, fresh water, drinking water, whatever you want. And people go like, no, too expensive. I just, I'll, just, I, I'll just be thirsty. Right. Or we just won't grow crops or we won't take as many showers because it's too expensive to do those things. But the water's there, you know, same with California. Right. They got that big, long ass coast and always a water shortage or a drought. They go, how? I think you're right there. If they if they get the thorium reactors working, um, one of the byproducts is is heat and they can use that heat to desalinate water. So it's like. It's like getting free fresh water. Um, if you run a thorium plant next to the ocean, um, that that would be amazing, and that's kind of the future I hope to see. Um, but uh, <laughs> the leftists, for some reason, they're against nuclear technology, even uh, safe and clean, like hardly zero waste reactors. They're against because either they don't know or they just don't care to know. And I think the reason is because they're they're pushing this idea that uh, solar panels are somehow renewable, and and wind wind turbines are somehow renewable. Yeah, I mean you got you got to like melt it down and rebuild it back up. <laughs> I guess it's, I don't know. It doesn't I don't think last that's forever. Done. I, What's that? I think they I think they usually bury them and just make new ones. Yeah, buy them buy them from China because you know what shit's just cheaper in China. So see, and that's the other thing. I like I'm convinced that at some point the 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 precious metal mines of the future will be digging through uh, the trash, uh, you know, the, the trash yeah, holes. Yeah. 
because where well, I mean, where else are you going to get it? Like all all of these disposable mm-hmm. electronics that we we have, right, have those components in them, but you just chuck it, you know. And at some point, if you yeah. run even if you run low enough, you go like, well, where is all this going? What's well, in the? It's a big old trash hole. If, that, you if know, they can previous get generations artificial intelligence working good enough, you can just have robots run a big factory, a recycling factory. And everything would just go there, and and the robots would break it down to whatever is efficient, down to the atomic level or not, and and make new materials out of it. There you go for 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 production. So, um, you know that could happen. You know, and then maybe they would go through uh, dumps and and recycle everything that's that, that we've dumped, and maybe not. I don't know. Whatever the AI determines is most efficient. But yeah. Until then, I don't think anybody actually wants to go. Uh, through trash and, and find stuff. Now they they that actually happens in China, uh, but that's because uh, the value of life is so low um, that uh, there's there's people that actually exist that have never been outside of the dump. They just, they live in the dump and they wow. work in the dump and and they don't even know that there's an outside of a dump. All they know is there's life is a dump. They don't even know it's a dump. <laughs> I get low expectations. Well, I get, I'm not saying that they would be digging through trash. Like I'm not. I'm not. I'm not envisioning that world where people. I'm just. Yeah, but you know, I, I, yeah, the I, mineral, but, the, the mineral and the metal deposits. That's where a lot of it is going to end up after you've strip mined. You know, every place else that you've searched for, mm-hmm. like decades from now, right? Maybe maybe centuries from now, they'd be like, "Well, what happened to all that gold that they had in like the 21st? Well, they threw it away. You know, all those little copper components all in there. It's a, this is this is where the dump used to be, and now everything else has obviously decomposed." And what remains is now mineable. Just throwing it out there. Into the article. For summer travelers, the weather in Maui was close to perfect last month, with highs in the mid-80s, lows in the mid-70s, and not a rain cloud in sight. There you go. Water shortage. For locals, that has actually been a huge problem. Recent drought conditions have led officials to declare a water shortage in parts of the Maui County archipelago. Residents in those areas can be hit with a $500 fine if they use water for non-essential activities, such as washing a car or watering a lawn. While droughts have become more common in Hawaii in recent years because of climate change, the newly imposed water restrictions have led to pushback from some residents who say that they are being asked to sacrifice resources while consumption from the hotel and tourism industry remains largely unchecked. As travel returns to pre-pandemic levels in Hawaii, some natives are saying that they are tired of catering to visitors. Stop coming to Hawaii. They are treating us like second-class citizens, literally cutting off our water to feed over tourism. Former state lawmaker Kaniela Ng tweeted last month sharing screenshots about the water uses prohibitions. The post got more than 144,000 likes and 50,000 retweets. Another Instagram post from Aina Mamona, an environmental advocacy organization based in Maui County, blamed the water crisis on climate change, capitalist interest, and extractive economies. Our so-called leaders expect residents to carry the burden and limit use of a vital resource to continue supporting visitors who are flocking to our shores in a pandemic, read the post, which is liked more than 13,000 times. With a population of 167,000, Maui County is made up of four islands, two of which are serviced by the public water system. The water usage restrictions, which went into effect July 2nd, target the upcountry region, an island community on the island of Maui traditionally dominated by ranching and farming. The county has threatened to fine those who use water for non-essential purposes, $500 for each violation. Under the shortage declaration, those who commit multiple offenses can have their water meters removed entirely. County officials have pushed back against criticism that linked the water shortage to excessive tourism. At a meeting of the Board of Water Supply last month, Maui County Water Supply Director Jeff Pearson said the system that supplies the upcountry community with water is separate from those that service the island's main resort area. If there were zero tourists on the island, we'd still have a stage one water shortage upcountry, Pearson said at the meeting, according to the Maui News. Roughly one month after the upcountry water restrictions were announced, Maui County officials on Friday urged residents and businesses in South and Central Maui, which are populated by resorts, to conserve water as well. Although the advisory did not come with mandatory usage restrictions, County Spokesman Brian Perry told the Washington Post 
It is a part of a holistic effort to conserve water across the island. Water department, people will tell you, no matter where you are in Maui County, because of the drought, people should be conserving water, he said, and that applies across the board, whether you're a visitor or a resident. Although county leaders have explained that Maui has multiple water sources at varying capacity levels, Ng, the former state lawmaker whose tweets went viral, said the upcountry water shortage still demonstrates a structural problem. Who created the infrastructure, he asked in an interview with The Post. Over the years, Ng said government leaders have been more concerned with funding improvements for tourists than with fixing residents' problems. They just don't invest for the infrastructure that people need. On the other hand, there's constant investment in roads going to South Maui or Central Maui, he said. It's a matter of policy choice. Ng, a native Hawaiian, said the frustration from locals has been mounting after the COVID-19 pandemic gave residents an unprecedented break from visitors. For the first time in generations, many Hawaiians were able to experience life on their island without tourists. Locals were finally able to go to the beach, and this spot where I caught my first wave and my first fish were finally available to take my kids for once, Ng said. Once you get a taste of that, it's hard to let it go again. More than a year after the first stay-at-home orders were issued in Hawaii, tourism is back full force. More than 260,000 people visited Maui this past June, compared with just 1,900 in June of 2020. At a news conference early this summer, Maui County Mayor Michael Victorino said he had taken the unusual step of pleading with airline officials to book fewer seats on flights to Maui. For about more than a year, COVID-19 stopped everybody from going almost everywhere. And so now Maui's become, and the state of Hawaii, the focus point for the pent-up demand, the mayor told reporters. Walter Ritty, a longtime native activist and executive director of Aina Momona, told the Post that many residents are pushing to restructure the Hawaiian economy so it is less dependent on tourism. People have gotten really good memories during the pandemic of how it used to be without the tourists, he said. It's going to be hard to convince the community to go back. Uh, end of the article. I would say good. Like, don't go visit. Let, let it burn. Let it all just <laughs> fucking fall into the ocean. Um, but for the scope of this article, uh, I know we, we mentioned desalination prior to it. Um, seems to me like the government is getting in the way. Your thoughts, MC, on whether or not there is a free market solution or if you live in an area where it doesn't rain, you just, you know, suck it up or move. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't have a solution. And I don't know. I just I, I think uh, Hawaii is mismanaged anyway. So um, there's there's probably some fault of the government uh, for how they manage the water supply. But um, yeah, whatever. I, I don't know. It's, um, you know, first world problems. <laughs> well, first world problems, yes. But water... Getting water anywhere, you know, that could also be, that could also turn into third world problems, right? Like getting, getting drinking water, if you're, you know, poor or whatever, seems to be like an important thing, which again is why I've always said, you know, with the desalination thing, you got all that ocean, they have life straws, like fucking merge the two. And you're saying it's too expensive to do that. And I go, well, would it be too expensive if government weren't in the way? Right. Is is there is there a way for the free market to take the abundance of water surrounding an island that is in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the sea? Right. Taking that abundance of water that surrounds there and desalinate it economically where consumers would see value in that product. Right. Like I go back to the the big. Go ahead. Eventually some free market solution would present itself because the the land of Maui is very expensive and people want to go there and spend their money. And so if, if there wasn't so much uh, rainwater uh, and, and cheap water, then uh, you know, the, 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 the price would rise and it would rise to the point where it's economical to desalinate it. So yes, it will solve itself eventually regardless of government or not. Um, not unless right. government gonna, steps in, right? In this in be, this case, they well, don't let the you, prices go up. They just go like, you can't use the water. You don't find that economic well, balance. People, but there there would be eventually that somebody would say, oh, well, if I can't use the city's water, I'll make my own. Right. Eventually. But the price would have to be, you know, uh, exceedingly high to do that. And so it's it's probably more economical right now to just say, oh, well, we don't have enough water, don't come. So, well, that's, that's the city and the residents, 
right? I'm sure the people in the tourist district who who make money off that are like, you know, come please, you know, they, you 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 the, the way the state is operating, it's propping up one economy at the expense of another, and then what they're asking them to do is reverse that, right? Like the the city puts all these fundings, infrastructure fundings, towards the tourist areas, and apparently has neglected the uh, rural North Country or Up Country. Mm-hmm. And then, so the upcountry going like, well, stop putting money in the tourist areas, right? And fix our problems up here, right? So just like anything else, the government is split. Uh, everyone is forced to pay, but only, you know, only a portion of those payers are receiving the benefit, right? If you're upcountry paying your taxes and you're not getting the benefit, you're like, you're pissed off. If you're downcountry paying your taxes and they're, they're, you know, providing you with essential roads and infrastructure, you're going, oh, I'm getting my money's worth, uh, but they, then you pit against each other, right? The, the upcountry wants the tourists to go home so that they can get, you know, so that it's better up for them up there. And the, the tourist district goes like, no, I, why, why, would you, why would you destroy our economy, you know, to make that happen when it doesn't need to be either, right? Again, just like the, the first article, if the state gets out of the way, uh, there would, I believe that there would be some market solution to getting water to a, you know, drought stricken area if there is demand for it, right? That's, you know, if, if you're fine, only, only, you know, saving money by only using water for, uh, essential services, right. Then by all means, um, this ha- again, I go back to California because California is always complaining, right? Like Nestle is stealing all the water and they just bottle it up and sell it. Well, if they're allowed to, Right. Seems like a smart thing to do if you, you, you know, if you're getting a natural resource for free and, and people are willing to pay for it once you put it in a plastic bottle, uh, good on them, you know, and if that's, if that's the way that, if that's the way to deliver drinking water to Maui, you know, because it's the most economically efficient way, even if it's expensive, um, then by all means, Vegas is a similar thing. Like they, they've been, they've been delivering water to the desert for decades um, and it seems, it seems to be expensive in some cases. Like, um, uh, I'm not going to name it by name, but like, you know, friend of the show, um, I've, you know, I, I've seen the way that his water bill was, um, for a property in Vegas. And it was, you know, during, during the dry months, uh, there was like two ways to pay. You can either pay by use or pay like a flat, you know, fee for the, for the year. Like you pick one, um, and then you regulate your use accordingly. But if you if you if you paid the the monthly fee, you know you, the summer months when the, the you know desert hot summer drought season, you know the, the water bill was like hundreds of dollars. Um, and during the the winter months when the cooler whatever, it was significantly less. So it the water bill fluctuated enormously between you know certain months of the year because that's what like the market bared for water at that time. Well, during the summer months, can you cut your usage? Sure, absolutely. If you know that that's the price, uh, then you can cut your usage. But you know, if there's if there's a shortage, right? If there's a water shortage, to me, that's a market opportunity for someone to go like, no, 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 we have the water. It's just more expensive than you really want to pay for it. And then I don't, I personally don't want to call that a shortage because then that's just the market deciding what it values. Well, there's a big gap though, so. Like no, let's say normally you pay a uh, hundred dollars a month for water in Maui. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the water runs out and you go, Oh, well I still need water. I'm willing to pay $300 for my water. It's three times as much. Yeah. But the cost to desalinate the water would be $400 per month. And then you go, well, you're stuck between rock and hard place because you can't afford the $400 per month for desalinated water and there is no more hundred dollar water. So what do you do? Well, you, you either, you know, then, then you, then you I still say you're making a market decision to go like there is water sure. available to me. It's just sure, out of but, my price range. But it, at that point it might be cheaper not to come to Maui or to move right away from Maui. And that again, still choices, right? Like the right. equilibrium will be found in the market. Um, you know, I, I was having a, not a similar conversation, but a conversation with someone about the, you know, I will jump into the COVID topic briefly. 
about like, you know, what it would take for, you know, to, to, for you to get the, the vaccine. Like if they're going to, if they're going to jab you, right. Cause we're talking about like carrots and sticks. They're, they have all these incentives to get the, the COVID vaccine, right. And we'll give you, you know, free donut at Krispy Kreme. I will give you a hundred dollar gift certificate. I will, we'll enter you into this million dollar lottery. Right. And my point in time was, well, they're going to keep dangling carrots until at some point, you know, they're going to, you're going to get the stick. And being a, a professional wrestling fan, I'm of the belief that everyone has a price, right? And I go like, so there is, there is, there is a price that you will put that you will say like, you give me this and I will get the, you know, the, the, the vaccine, what that price is. I don't know. Um, but they thought about it and the, the answer was basically like, okay, you know, just to summarize, if they, if, if, if they, you know, if the state drops its charges against me and gives me like a hundred Bitcoin, I will get the vaccine. I go, okay, like that's, that's your price. And I go, now can we negotiate? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I go like, if they agree to drop the charges, but only 50 Bitcoin, are you going to say prosecute? Right? Like, you know, would you, would you not take the 50 Bitcoin and like just skirt away from it? Like maybe your price is a little bit lower than that. Maybe it's a little bit higher than that. And so if we're talking about again, water, like what is your price? You know, is there, is there anything you're willing to give up? Uh, you know, if, is there a hundred dollars of somewhere else that you're willing to give up to get that $400 fresh water for those months that there's a shortage, right? When, when Texas had that, you know, energy crisis over the winter, right. And it, you know, we, I think we talked about it here, energy, pr- energy prices skyrocketed, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for, for a light bill. I go, well, you kind of agreed to that because you said variable pricing. There's, there's now, you know, uh, less supply, right? If you want to call that a shortage, fine. There's less supply. Um, and so the price goes up, you can still get it, but are you willing to pay the high price? So when I see, when I see this, right, I, you know, it's to me, this water shortage is government induced shortage because they're not letting the market operate. Like if the market were to operate and you could get your desalinated water for a price, then it would just be your choice on whether or not you're willing to pay that price or not. Like it's available. Do you have the money to afford it? Right. There's, there's not a shortage on ramen noodles simply because I can't afford a box at Walmart. Right. It's there. It's there for you. You just have to pay. Moving on. All right. Moving on. All right. This is the New Hampshire story. So local to me. Police department shamelessly list qualified immunity as a unique benefit in job in a job posting. Uh, I'm pulling I'm pulling this article from the Free Thought Project. Um, I don't know where they necessarily got it from, but because I'm local here uh, and because I have a lot of friends and like, you know, the, the cop block, you know, paying attention to local goings on, like I was well aware of this before the article. And then I found the article and like, all right, we'll do this. Uh, local, like absolutely local. This is the city that I live in. A police department in Manchester, New Hampshire is the spotlight this week after issuing a call asking for new officers and listing qualified immunity as one of the unique benefits and perks of employment. Um, there's, there's a picture here, and uh, this, was, uh, this was like people posted this on, my, on, on Facebook, so I, I saw this well ahead of time. Here's the, the quote from the, 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 the job posting. Located less than an hour from Boston, Manchester enjoys proximity to great schools and attractions, the beach and the White Mountains. The department offers many opportunities to advance and additional unique benefits, including qualified immunity. Click the link and apply now. There's no application fee, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Uh, Hours later, the department took down the post. Earlier today, Manchester police published a recruitment post that referenced qualified immunity this post was not the place for the mention of qualified immunity and was not appropriate. The post was removed and archived appropriately. As chief of police, I take full responsibility for this post and the inappropriate mention of qualified immunity, Chief Allen Eldenberg said in a department Facebook post. So I'm going to jump in again uh, because that was after it started getting traction. Prior to this getting traction, uh, the, the uh, social media person edited the post to remove that line, right? And so that line disappeared about the qualified immunity. It was just like, uh, the department offers many opportunities to advance and additional unique benefits. Click it now to apply, right? 
but they only edited the post. So smart people looked at the edit and went, no, 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 look, this is what it said before. And that's when it turned into like a, a big news item because there, you, you could clearly, you, you now could clearly see that the post was edited to remove this specific thing because they knew it was bad. And then later on, you know, deleted it completely. Um, the idea that police department would promote qualified immunity as a unique benefit of the job should come as no surprise. Police unions in New Hampshire, like the Manchester Association of Police Supervisors and the Manchester Police Patrolmen's Association, only offer up their endorsements to candidates who support qualified immunity. If you withdraw your support for the doctrine, like incumbent uh, Chris Pappas, the representative for New Hampshire's first congressional district did last year, the union will withdraw their support for you. What's more, as municipalities across the country tried to end qualified immunity last year, cops across the country pushed back big time, including lying about it. In a recent report from the Cato Institute policy analysis, Jay Schweikert, Schweikert yep, detailed some of the blatant misrepresentation used by police unions to justify keeping qualified immunity. The National Association of Police Organizations submitted a letter to Congress to explain their opposition to the George Floyd Justison Policing Act which would eliminate qualified immunity for law enforcement officials. The letter falsely claimed that if, that if this doctrine is ended, cops can go to jail for simply doing their jobs. Quote, with the change to qualified immunity, an officer can go to prison for an unintentional act that unknowingly broke an unknown law. We believe in holding officers accountable for their actions, but the consequence of this would, making criminals, would be making criminals out of decent cops enforcing the laws in good faith. Unquote. As Schweikert pointed out, the letter was written and signed by William F. Johnson, NAPO's executive director and general counsel. Given Johnson's history as a former prosecutor, the idea of him claiming that he is unaware that qualified immunity is a civil doctrine and not used to bar criminal prosecution of cops is either glaringly incompetent or blatant misinformation. He didn't just say it in the letter to Congress either. Johnson doubled down on his falsehoods in an interview with the Washington Times. Quote, You've got federal lawmakers proposing a federal law that says in even when the federal law is so unclear as to be unknowable by any reasonable officer, that officer can still go to prison for an unintentional act that unknowingly broke an unknown law, unquote. Schweikert actually calls this assertion by Johnson astounding, adding that one of the largest policing organizations in the country is opposing qualified immunity reform based on the clearly erroneous assertion that the doctrine has anything to do with criminal prosecution. Qualified immunity is why Kimberly Beck will likely never see justice for her son, who was unarmed and shot in the heart by National Park Ranger Robert Mitchell. Beck's son, Charles Gage Lorenz, was shot and killed by a National Park Ranger in Carlsbad Caverns National Park after he was pulled over for allegedly speeding on a dirt road. Body camera footage of the incident was released last year, showing that Lorenz was unarmed and did not do anything to provoke the use of force used by Mitchell. Beck attempted to hold Mitchell accountable, but he was granted qualified immunity instead. Also, the TFTP previously reported on the night of August 10th, 2016, Tony Timpa called 911 asking police to help him because he had a history of mental illness and he was off of his medication. When police arrived, arrived Timpa was already handcuffed by a private security guard and was sitting peacefully on the sidewalk asking police to help him. Instead of receiving help, however, police would mock Timpa and joke as they squeezed the life from him. For years, the family fought for justice only to learn that the U.S. District Court would grant the officers qualified immunity in their case. The protection cops have enjoyed for decades started when the Supreme Court created the qualified immunity in 1982. With that move, the court granted all government officials immunity for violating constitutional and civil rights unless the victims of those violations can show the rights were clearly established. Qualified immunity protects police and other officials from consequences, even for horrific rights abuses, said the now former Congressman Justin Amash. It prevents accountability for the bad apples and undermines the public's faith in law enforcement. It's at odds with the text of the law and the intent of Congress, and it ultimately leaves Americans' rights without appropriate protection. Members of Congress have a duty to ensure government officials can be held accountable for violating Americans' rights, and ending qualified immunity is a crucial part of that. Uh, if you are interested in, in other paradigm-shifting solutions into quelling police brutality and American deprivation of rights, we've provided five solutions, including qualified immunity, that will drastically change. Uh, you can read those in another article. We won't talk about that. Uh, so your your thoughts 
uh, on this MC, maybe qualified immunity in general, where it needs to go, or the, the, the dumbfoundedly, or, you know, the, the total lack of awareness for putting that in a social media post looking for employ, employees. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, qualified immunity is not funny. Um. <laughs> needs to be ended, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have much to say about that. Okay. All right, we'll just wrap it up then. Final thoughts? No. All right, that'll do it for us. Then you guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. Again, Clubhouse, uh, where we do the live part of this show. Um, just f- look, for the, look for the Anarchist Experience or at me, Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can still do that through Patreon, patreon.com slash experience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.